You are listening to episode number 45 of the Secondary Science Simplified Podcast. Are you teaching in a school or in a district that utilizes the next generation science standards and do you feel a little overwhelmed by it? Or maybe you're in a state that doesn't technically use NGSS, but your state standards sure do look and sound a whole lot like them. As I found that most do, I've done a lot of research and even recently I read every single state's standards for the new curriculum I'm writing right now and most state's standards are eerily similar to NGSS. Either way, you may be expected to use phenomena to engage your students and you might feel overwhelmed with what to do and how to get started. Personally, I don't love the NGSS. I feel like people who write standards, whether for the entire nation or a state, are trying to make it harder on us. They're trying to incorporate as many of Bloom's taxonomy as they possibly can, and making the standards clear is not a priority for them. But I'm not going to go on a tangent about this, but I will say this. I do love how the NGSS encourages teachers to use phenomena to engage students. And in today's episode, I'm going to share what phenomena are and what they aren't, why I love using them, but purposefully don't structure my units around them, tips for how to get started, and of course, a few really specific examples for you of my favorite phenomena. So let's get started. This is Secondary Science Simplified, a podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I'm passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs, serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom and actually have a life outside of it? You're in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. A quick side note before we get into the content today is we are quickly approaching the 50th episode of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast, and I really cannot believe we are here. So to celebrate 50 episodes, I'm going to do an ask me anything sort of episode. So no topic is off limits. We can talk about teaching, science-specific things, family, organization, house hacks, you know, anything you want to know about let me know. I would love to hear from you. I want to answer your questions. So you can just shoot me a DM on Instagram. That's a super easy way to get in touch with me at its.not.rocket.science. Or you can always email me too at Rebecca at it'snotrocketscienceclassroom.com and shoot me your questions because I'm excited to answer them as we get to that 50th episode. Now let's talk phenomena. At this point in time in which I'm recording this, the majority of states in the United States are either one, using the next generation science standards or are using their state's own standards that are really, really similar to NGSS. There really are only a handful of states that do something entirely unique. And so whichever category you may fall into, just know that both of these require using phenomena to engage students. But I know that oftentimes we can be expected as educators to do stuff, but we get very little training on how to actually do this practically. And so that's why I've decided to do this episode. Back in January, I interviewed my friend Skipper, who is the real Miss Frizzle, and our conversation really inspired this kind of follow-up episode, if you will. So if you are not familiar, Skipper's a science teacher, and she's turned into an instructional coach in the most recent years. 
And she has a ton of experience helping teachers move their instructional methods from being one-dimensional to three-dimensional. So if you aren't familiar, just a little preface, the NGSS use a three-dimensional learning strategy and it incorporates three things. So these are your three dimensions. The DCIs, which are the disciplinary core ideas, which are essentially just like the content that you're teaching. It also covers the SEPs, which are the science and engineering practices, which really are skills that you're going to incorporate. And then CCCs or cross-cutting concepts. And these, I see these as themes and connections that just kind of integrate what our students are learning across units and across subject areas. And so, like I said in the intro of this episode, if I am perfectly honest, which you know, I will always be with you. I just don't personally love the NGSS. I think the standards leave a lot to be desired when it comes to clarity and practicality, which are two things that we love here at It's Not Rocket Science and Secondary Science Simplified. However, I will say that there are two things that I do truly love about the NGSS. One is that three-dimensional strategy for teaching, for always incorporating the DCIs, the SEPs, and the CCCs. It just, it honestly just makes sense. And then two, I love using phenomenon to engage students. So if you want more help with teaching in the three-dimensional strategy, I recommend stopping right now and going back and listening to episode seven to hear Skipper talk about that. But if you're ready to learn more about the other thing I love about NGSS, which is using phenomena to engage students in a way that's simple and practical, this episode is for you. So first and foremost, What are phenomena? Because you may not be familiar with this at all. So according to the nextgenscience.org website, phenomena are defined by them as observable events that occur in the universe that we can use our science knowledge to explain or predict. So phenomena are not explanations of scientific information or the appropriate terminology behind what is happening, but instead they are what our students can experience and document in order for them to have context and meaning in terms of what they are learning. And the NGSS kind of give us three categories in which these phenomena can fall into. So you have kind of anchoring phenomena, which would really anchor and provide focus for your entire unit. There are investigative phenomena, which are used kind of along the way as you're teaching to focus and provide meaningful context for maybe a specific instructional lesson or sequence that you're teaching. And then there are everyday phenomena, which relate anchoring and investigative phenomena to personal experiences that our students may have. And so here's why I love using them. And I would use them whether I was in an NGSS school or not. And it's to simply put it, phenomena engage students the title of this episode because it's just true. 99.9% of our students' questions really boil down to a phenomenon that they don't understand. So let's use our students' questions to guide how we teach our classes. Honestly, this is how learning has always happened historically. And this is really the true nature of science. It's making observations, asking questions, collecting data and information to try to answer those questions, and then trying to come up with answers and conclusions that are backed by data and evidence that we found. This is literally what science is. And phenomena truly just set us up to do that really, really easily. It's not, I think this is like one of those things in education that we've made like a big thing, but it's probably something you're already doing in a lot of ways. It's kind of what I think about CERs, which is another tangent that you didn't ask me to go on. 
But I know like in the last couple of years, CER statements have been a big thing. Like we got to teach our students CER, which is claim evidence reasoning. They got to make a claim, back it with evidence and reasoning. You need a poster in your room about this. You need to make sure your worksheets all say this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember when this kind of shift happened and I was so perplexed because I was like, aren't we all already doing CER? Like literally science is CER. It just may not have like the pretty acronym every single time, but like every time you're doing a lab or every time you're asking students an open response question, most likely you're asking them to make a claim and back it up with evidence and reasoning. And of course, you know, I love how it simplified things. You know, you can totally have the poster and the visual, all of that. But I say all this to say, I don't want you getting overwhelmed by this new initiative or something that feels like this whole big thing you have to start doing when it's probably something you might already naturally be doing because it's just integrated into the nature of how science is as a subject in general. So that's why I love using phenomena and I like using CER too, but you don't need to be overwhelmed by those terms because they're just part of the nature of science and how it's done. So most likely you're doing it in some capacity. And we're just going to kind of clarify that with the rest of this episode. Now, one thing I want to say is that I purposefully don't structure my units around my phenomena. And I'll tell you why. I think there's a big misconception for teachers surrounding phenomena-based teaching. And it's that we have to throw out every instructional resource we've ever used and we have to revamp our units entirely around these phenomena. And this is not the case. Can you do this and be successful? Absolutely. But do you have to do this in order to use phenomena to engage your students? Definitely not. Again, phenomena-based teaching has been around for decades. I think back to every textbook I've ever seen for science pretty much starts out each chapter with some sort of phenomena. There's some sort of like real world example or some sort of little story that they tell to engage students at the start of the chapter before it gets into the content. And then the content in the chapter refers back to that initial story or that initial phenomenon. So this is not like a new thing. This is how science has been done forever and ever. Now, just like I've never taught with a textbook, because I don't want to have to be forced into such a structured thing, I also don't force the structure of my units around specific phenomena. Instead, I have a running list of phenomena relevant to each unit that I teach. So if you own any of my units whatsoever, if you go into the implementation folder, there will be a PDF in there called NGSS Alignment Guide. And I started off with a list of different phenomena that I've used. And then I also have like a chart that shows how the different instructional resources incorporate the SEPs and CCC. So that is there for you. But I also, much more informally, I just have a note on my phone for every class I've ever taught. And I just keep a running list there of different phenomena to engage students. Because what I have found is using phenomena is most effective when the students have a role in the phenomena selection process. When the phenomena we are using is both relevant and meaningful to our students, we will find that they are much more engaged in them. And that's the whole reason we're using phenomena, right? So my best ideas for phenomena have come from the questions that my students have asked year after year. And again, I just keep a running list of these on my phone and I pull from them in future years. 
This is truly the simplest way to gather ideas for phenomena without spending hours on Google or in the NGSS teacher Facebook groups or trying to convince your admin to buy you an NGSS specific textbook line so you can use their phenomena. You can totally do all of those things, but I want you to feel like this is much simpler than it's been made out to be for you. So again, I will share a few of my favorites at the end, but my number one advice is to listen to your students and the questions that they ask and use those as the phenomena that are going to guide your instruction and to guide the discussions you're having around the instructional resources that you are using with your students. And go ahead and start this right now, mid-year. Start a list of your phone, on your phone of good questions they've asked or of questions they've asked in the past. Another thing I like to do is if we are in a lecture, because oftentimes that seems to be when students kind of ask their questions is while we're learning about something new or in lecture and doing that direct instruction, a question will pop up. If it's a good question, I'll go right then and there and in my slide notes for whatever we're lecturing on, I'll write it down there too if I don't want to pull up my phone. And that way I have it in the future too to bring up if no one asks it again, but it was a good question. I want to talk about it. So I definitely recommend doing that. Now, how do we get started using them? As always, I'm all about making your job easier and not harder. So my best advice is to start small and start simple. I think the easiest phenomena to start incorporating are the investigative phenomena. So most likely you already have at least one lab activity or investigation in every unit you are teaching. And pretty much every lab is innately designed around students investigating an observable event, which is the definition of a phenomenon. You can use that to provide focus and meaningful content for your students that you then refer to as you maybe move on to explain the phenomena and direct instruction after you do the lab. And so start with investigative phenomena. And from there, once you feel more comfortable, maybe you can start brainstorming some anchoring phenomena that will kind of guide an entire unit. Again, I like to think of anchoring phenomena as themes that will truly anchor the entire unit and hold it in place introducing these phenomena at the start, and then you can just kind of bring everything you do back to this. And again, you don't need to rewrite your entire unit, okay? For example, when I teach heredity in my biology class, a great anchoring phenomena is anything related to identical twins that aren't exactly identical. So do I need to rewrite my entire unit so that every single thing has something in it that relates to identical twins? No. But When I teach my kids about Mendelian inheritance and Punnett squares to understand basic inheritance patterns, we can then have a discussion and bring it back to the identical twins. Then when we kind of move on and start talking about complex inheritance patterns like polygenic inheritance, we bring it back to the twins as discussion. From there, we usually move on to mutations, bring it back to twins and how that can create differences. Even if they have identical DNA from mom and dad in the womb, there can still be a mutation while they're growing and developing. And then when we talk about epigenetics, That's a whole nother discussion. Even if they are raised in the same house and in the same environment, epigenetics can play a role. So all of these topics can be tied back into that original phenomenon of the existence of identical twins that aren't truly identical. And you can have these discussions entirely centered on these phenomenon without changing a single one of the resources you've already created for your students. So again, I just want to encourage you, please don't throw out your lesson plans Just because a student asks a great question and now you want to rewrite your entire unit around it, use that great question 
and use it to serve as an anchoring phenomenon for the remainder of the unit and just tie all of your discussions that you're having with students back to that. And then maybe if you're reflecting on your unit at the end of the year and you have time, you can say, hey, I want to make this question a more integral part of my unit. Do I need to bring in a different lab activity that can kind of tie into this or a different, you know, video source or research project or whatever it may be? But don't feel the pressure that the only way to teach phenomenon-based teaching is to like totally structure an entire unit around one thing that you've picked or however you want to do it. Okay, so simplify this for yourself. Start small, use what you already have. And again, keep it simple discussions and like the questions your students are asking is the best and simplest way to do this. Now, as I promised, the people will ask about this in my DMs, I will share some of my favorite phenomena with you because I know many of you have spent many hours desperately looking for ideas on the internet and I totally get it. But again, I'm going to say it one last time. I truly think the best ideas come from the questions and the things your students ask about. But here are just a few of my favorites. I'm just going to share like two for each subject. And then you can head to a blog post that I have about this that I'll link in the show notes and you can read a little bit more. And again, if you have any of my units, you're getting way more than two for each unit. You're getting like several suggestions for each unit of what you can do. And you should add to those lists too as you teach it and what based on what your students ask you. But okay, my favorite examples, one for biology One great like everyday phenomenon you can use is this statistic and it's from cancer.gov, which I'll link in the blog post that's in the show notes, but cancer.gov, which is a great website for finding up-to-date statistics about cancer, believes that by 2030, worldwide cases of cancer are expected to increase by 50%. And I I quantify this statistic as an everyday phenomenon because Most likely every student in your classroom knows someone very personally or even peripherally in their life that's experienced cancer. And so this is a great topic, albeit it can be a morbid one, to bring into your cells unit and kind of tie a lot of things back into, well, how does cancer start? Why haven't we cured it yet? And asking a lot of those follow-up questions that your students have. Another one that I love is an anchoring phenomenon for biology Every day around us, your students are seeing a vast array of living things and they're also different from one another. You know, you can look at a human, a banana, a puppy, and a bacterium and think these are all so different. And yet they all have the exact same instruction manual, if you will, of the A, T, C, and G nucleotides. And so you can ask your students, you know, how is it possible for only four different ingredients, so to speak, to make such broad diversity in all the living things that exist? And so that's a great kind of pondering thought and observation about the world that can anchor, you know, your entire genetics unit. Another biology one I love, I said I would do two, but I can't not do two for biology because, you know, I love bio so much, but I love, this is an investigative phenomenon. I, one of my all-time favorite resources I've ever used my students, and it's a favorite every year with them, is Ecosystem in a Bottle. And it's where students have two two liter bottles. One is going to be an aquatic ecosystem and one's a terrestrial. And they have to figure out how to connect them in a closed system so that the living things in them, the plants, you know, the cricket, the goldfish they get, that they can live for 30 days. And students design these and they make observations and it's awesome. And it's all based on the idea, the phenomenon, the observable fact backed by evidence that earth is a closed system, meaning matter and energy must cycle through living and non-living things since earth is closed. And again, there can be points that can be argued there as well, but there's so much you can do with this. And I love to use this to really 
be the foundational engagement strategy for my entire ecology unit. Okay, let's talk about some other subjects. I know you're all like, we don't all teach biology, Rebecca. Anatomy, I mean, there are so many different phenomena, pretty much like any disease can be used. But other things too, I love as an anchoring phenomenon in my support and motion unit, which is when I cover muscular and skeletal systems, to talk about the effect of zero gravity on astronauts. It's also just a cool like cross, you know, curricular way to bring in some earth and space science stuff into your anatomy class. Another thing I find fascinating as an everyday phenomenon is the wellness industry. It is believed that $3.72 trillion were spent in the wellness industry between 2013 and 2015. And I can't even imagine what that number is now with current years. And so I think that's a foundational thing that every student can relate to and be like, okay, let's talk though. Like there's all these different trends and all these different things that we chase after, but what's really the most effective and healthy way to lose weight or to gain muscle or, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. I think that's a really, really fascinating thing to look at, especially as you're teaching your students about the anatomy of the human body. Another one I love that's an everyday phenomenon is looking at the heart of different athletes and looking at how exercise affects your heart, whether you're a runner or a swimmer, or, you know, maybe you do the ultimate street fighting or whatever that's called, you know, and there's, I have a great article about this from the New York Times that I'll link in that blog post as well. But there, that's another great thing to kind of observe. There's so, I mean, anatomy just lends itself to these. There's so many that'll come up and I'm sure your students will ask you so many great questions you can use. Okay. And now my physical science teachers, which kind of a couple of these can be used for chemistry or physics too, if you don't teach just physical science specifically, but great everyday phenomenon is roller coasters. They are just magnificent feats of engineering and design. And you can talk to your students about the physics behind these. You know, you can do a pendulum lab activity to mimic the Viking ship ride that so many have been on. And there's so many things you can bring in here to kind of connect that to your students. I also love talking to students in my electricity unit about, you know, when they've ever been blow drying their hair before school and, you know, mom's cooking breakfast and then, you know, the microwave is running and the oven and then the lights go out. You know, why is this happening? This is a great phenomenon to bring in a discussion of circuits. There's so many things you can do for that. And then one last one I'll say, I said I was only going to do two, but I can't stop. I'm sorry. I just get so excited about this, but I love, this is for chemistry, law of conservation of matter and how matter is never created or destroyed. But you do that classic popcorn lab where, you know, you have students take the mass of popcorn kernels, then they pop the kernels, they take the mass again, and some of it disappeared. Where did it go? This is in my matter unit, and you've probably seen it a thousand times on Google. You probably did it yourself in middle school or high school. This is such a great investigative phenomenon to kind of introduce the law of conservation of matter. Talk about chemical changes, talk about physical changes, talk about why it appears to disappear and how that can't really be the case. There's so many great discussions that can come from that as well. So I hope you found these helpful. I hope you feel less overwhelmed and more equipped to use phenomena to engage your students this school year because of listening to this episode. And just a reminder, I would really love to hear your questions for the upcoming 50th episode of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast. So if you could shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me whatever questions you have, I would love to answer them. And as always, thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find any links that I mentioned in the show notes at itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash episode 45. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. 
And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.